All right, Uh, again, let's turn our Bibles to the Gospel according to Matthew, and the first verses of the chapter will be our subject matter this evening. I don't have a long uh, exposition in terms of, uh, how can I say, uh, paragraphs and and, uh, and a big outline for you. I have some thoughts I'd like to share from this passage of Scripture tonight as we come near to the birth uh, time of the Lord Jesus Christ in our calendar. And so we see here in Matthew chapter 1 that the, the chapter opens with something that some people might just read over and skim quickly and uh, try to uh, uh, maybe avoid even, uh, especially if you think about uh, genealogies like this one that are even longer in First Chronicles and, and other places in the Bible. Uh, Genesis has a number of them as well. But let's, uh, let's read this. Let's trust the Lord to help us to glean a couple of thoughts from it and then uh, kind of store it away for future reference. Okay? All right. Chapter 1 of the book of Matthew, the genealogy of Christ. It says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab and Aminadab begot Nashon and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth and Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah, and Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiad, Abiad begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliad. Eliad begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now let me share with you just some comments on this. Indeed, you can, as I have. You probably can't see this too well, but I have divided the genealogy into three sections. You can see an introduction and then three bodies or groups of the 14 Uh, levels uh, of each of the groupings of genealogy, the 14 uh, names. Um, First, let me just comment a little bit on the importance of the genealogy. Uh, Maybe I should even back up and say the relevance of the genealogy in the sense of why am I talking about this? Well, as you know, it's written in Scripture, so that's number one reason. Um, Number two, it tells us a lot about our faith and about where Jesus Christ came from. So, and, and besides that, genealogies are somewhat interesting. I don't know if you've looked at yours uh, back any length of time. I have spent a little time over the years uh, 
looking for information at various sources, and uh, I think I can trace back uh, at least the post-if name to maybe um, eight or nine levels back. That's not too far, but it's something anyway. It's interesting to find out a little bit about your roots that way. But we have to caution ourselves not to go too far in that and, and focus on that as some have begun to do because Paul does warn us to not get caught up with what? Genealogies. As if it's the be-all and end-all of all things. Uh, somebody has said if you go far, far enough back in your genealogy, you'll find a thief. And uh, you probably will. Um, all of us have some, some connection, some black sheep in the family. Hopefully we're not the black sheep. But, uh, so you have that warning against going too far uh, into this matter of genealogies. And after all, uh, in Christ there is no Jew nor uh, Gentile. So there's no reason for us to worry like, oh, my, my, my lineage is so bad. Uh, you know, I'm cursed. That sort of thing. I can't, I can't ever amount to anything for God. That's, that's not the case. God does not punish the children for the sins of the fathers. And, uh, and thankfully, actually, He doesn't even punish us for our own sins if we're in Christ. Did you ever think of that? He doesn't punish the children for the fathers, neither does He punish the children for the children's sins, which if they trust in Christ, that is. And so that's a, a great encouragement uh, to us. But uh, the, the importance of genealogies is noted in the Bible for, especially for two groups of people. I wonder if you might think of the groups of people for whom genealogies are important in the Bible. Who, what groups of people? Do you have any idea? Silence. You haven't thought about this as much as I have, I see. <laughs> I've been sitting in my office pondering this. Um, well, this is one of them. If you're not a son of David, what? Can you be a king in Jerusalem over Israel? Uh, not legitimately. Not legitimately. So that's one. So kings, it was important for kings to have a known genealogy. What's another group of people? I just have one other in mind. Anybody? Priests. There you go. That's very good. Priests. Uh, if you were not of the line of Levi and then correspondingly or, uh, or after that the line of Aaron, could you be a priest? No. In fact, if you go uh, back to Ezra, just spend a moment with me looking at a couple of texts in uh, Ezra and chapter uh, 2. If you find Second Chronicles, you're close. Just keep going a little bit. Ezra chapter 2. And well, here, here is a huge list of the people who returned to Jerusalem after the captivity. And among them in Ezra 2.61, and says, And of the sons of the priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Koz, and the sons of Barzillai, who took, or Barzillai, who took a wife of the daughters of Barzillai the Gileadite, and was called by their name. Interesting, isn't it? These sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. So they claimed, look, we're priests. We're in the line of the priests. And they, they may well have been correct. 
but they were not found there. For some reason, there was an error or omission in the um, genealogical records, probably. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. At least their forefathers had told them, look, you're along the line of the priests. And so that's what they believed and took that, and that was very important to them. And so uh, the governor, verse 63, said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things. In other words, you can't partake of the things that are reserved for the priests till a priest could consult with the Urim and Thummim, those special devices that allowed God to share revelation to the people of Israel somehow. We're not sure exactly how that happened but that was a special revelatory vehicle to answer difficult or unknowable questions to, to people. And so they had to wait to find out if they could participate. Now, this was important because if you go back to Numbers chapter 3, not just anybody wanted to walk up to the temple and say, Hi, I'm a priest. Let me in. You know, I'm going to start ministering as a priest. You know... Uh, Somebody comes and says, hey, I'm called of God to ministry. Okay, I listen to that. But you've got to show yourself to be really, truly called to, to minister. You can't just say, I have a private calling, even if nobody can see it. Uh, no, in fact, there has to be objective evidence. In this case, the objective evidence was that you had to be a Levite. Look at uh, Numbers chapter 3, verse number uh, 10. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Okay, this is somebody, what it means is an outsider coming near to usurp the authority of the priest, to usurp the office of the priest. Okay? Now, uh, a king did that one time, didn't he? Do you remember that king? He did not do what was right in the sight of God. In fact, actually two kings did. I was thinking of Uzziah, or Azariah as his name is, in other official records. But you also had Saul, right, offering sacrifice when he should not have been doing that. That was a function of somebody in the priestly line. So, uh, in any case, uh, Numbers 3.10. And then also look at Numbers 16.40, just to uh, buttress the point. Numbers 16 and verse number 40. And so, in other words, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a nice thought or a good try on somebody's part to step in from outside of the tribe of Levi to be a, a minister uh, to God in this context, in this setup. Verse 40, to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider... Let me, let me go back. So, verse 39, so Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which... Uh, those who were burned up had presented and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar. Okay, so this is in the, the incident of uh, Korah and the rebellion against Moses and Aaron. To be these, This covering was to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron could come, should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. So, what happened to Korah and his companions? Do you remember? Well, they were swallowed up by the earth. The San Andreas Fault opened up and swallowed them and closed up again, as it were. So, they, you don't want to become like one of them. 
So genealogies were important for priests, but also they were important for kings. And we have the evidence here um, of this. Now, we start out with Abraham, and so it does kind of start around 2000 B.C., but we don't have anything before that in this genealogy. Now, do you think you could finish constructing this genealogy based on other parts of Scripture? You think? Yes, you could. Um, You certainly could go back to Genesis and work on that from uh, Genesis 12 backwards, 11, 10, the table of nations, and go from Abraham all the way back to Adam. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 3, you'll see that very thing. There's another genealogy in Luke chapter 3, the end of the chapter. And it goes, uh, gets us back to Abraham in verse 34 of Luke 3. And then he goes, it goes to Terah, Nahor, Serug, Ru, Peleg, Eber, Shelah, Kainan, Arphaxad, Shem, Noah, Lamech, Methuselah, Enoch, Jared, Mahalel, Kainan, Enosh, Seth, Adam, all the way back to God. So there we have a more complete genealogy back to the beginning. Now, if you were to count how many genealogical records there are here in Matthew alone, how many, you could say, generations are there, uh, you would probably quickly estimate, if you were quick with your math, 14 times 3, and you'd come up with how many? 42 generations. Um, but then there's a little bit of kind of uh, difference at the beginning and at the end, and you kind of add the last generation, maybe the first one. And there's a couple of missing generations uh, in here, and I'll explain those in a moment. But you have at least, and you could try this, 45 generations listed. So remember, I said I, I can maybe go back eight or maybe nine. Well, this is going way farther back than that. Uh, and uh, vast over a vast period of time. I mean, actually, if you divided 2,000 by 45, what would you get? Somebody have a calculator and do that real quick. Uh, I'm just interested. 44, so it's a little bit long for a generation. Um, but there, there is some, uh, like I say, there's some missing ones here that we have to talk about for just a moment. So uh, the, entire, the entire tenor of the passage, however, is, look, this is a real deal here. This is a real person, Jesus, who had a real lineage. Now, we know that his lineage was a little bit odd because of the virgin birth aspect of it. But his, it's, he's got a historical lineage that our faith is based on solid historical footing. Okay, When you believe in Jesus, you're not believing in a myth, although there's still people out there today who preach and teach that this Jesus never even existed. I mean, if Jesus didn't exist, then John F. Kennedy didn't exist. Okay, I mean, really. You can't deny the one and accept the other. There's just an overwhelming amount of evidence uh, okay, somebody, you say, well, we saw, we saw him. Yeah, well, I mean, JFK. Well, the disciples saw Jesus too. <laughs> they lived with him. And we have eyewitness testimony of that. You could pick any, any figure in history, uh, uh, Julius Caesar or 
or uh, Aristotle or, or somebody else and say, you know, look, we have all kinds of evidence uh, of, of Jesus existing, at least as much as those guys. So our, our faith is based solidly on a good footing. Now, there are, um, and, and, and you know, this tells us that our faith is, is a real thing. It's not just a made-up, pretend kind of situation. Now, let me go back to the genealogy itself. And what I was interested in doing is looking at connections to the genealogy of Christ in Matthew 1 to other portions of Scripture. And if you were to go through the study that I did, and I, I like to think of it in a graphical kind of way. So think of the book of Matthew maybe at the center of a circle. And then around the circle you have all the other books of the Bible. And where does the genealogy in Matthew point to those other books in the Bible. And let me give you the, the books. It points to Genesis a number of times. Exodus, a little bit incidentally. It points over to Ruth, to First Chronicles, to Second Kings, to Second or sorry, Second Samuel, to First Kings, to First Chronicles, to Second Chronicles. What have I missed? Uh, yeah, and, and that's that's most of them. So you have the, the writer here, Matthew, and by the way, who is Matthew? What's that? What did he do before he did this? <laughs> Poor guy. He was not very well liked, you know, tax, tax man. Uh, but probably quite gifted at keeping records and uh, noting things and keeping them in order. And so here we have him. This is his wheelhouse here. He's keeping track of, of these generations and he's saying, look, this is amazing. We have a connection back all the way to Abraham and then, of course, back even farther to, to Noah and then to, to Adam. But he didn't bother putting all those. He wrote in a structured way these uh, groups of 14. Now, um, what can I do here? Uh, there's so many things, so many details let me mention just to, to close the loop on that virgin birth aspect of it. Go to verse number 16. Verse number 16. It says, And Jacob begot Joseph. Okay, just like all the previous generations of begots, that was a normal relationship, father to son, or perhaps father to grandson, uh, in some of these um, generational uh, listings here. Uh, but uh, Jacob, father, Joseph. And it says the husband of Mary. And then it, it uses different language. It doesn't say Joseph begot Jesus like it said in the others. Did you notice that? Daniel, did you notice that? Okay. What does it say? It says Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Now, who is the of whom? Who is the whom? Well, maybe it's not as clear in English as it is in Greek. But the whom is feminine. It's not masculine. Okay, So, you might just put a little footnote by the whom and just put feminine there. It refers to Mary. Joseph did not begot Jesus. Okay, Joseph was the husband of Mary the adoptive father of Jesus, if you will, the legal father, the one through whom Jesus received the legal title to the throne of David, but 
he was not the father of Jesus. It was Mary of whom, of her, was born Jesus, who is called Messiah or Christos or Christ. Okay, So a very important detail in the text that supports the notion of the virgin birth. Now, um, by the way, the genealogy we have referred to in Luke is a different genealogy. After David, it doesn't go through Solomon like this one does. You remember where it goes, who it goes through? It goes through Nathan. So it's on a different line. So common genealogy from, no, from well, God through Adam to Noah to Abraham to all the way down to David. And then from David it splits off and Solomon is this genealogy to Joseph. And then on the other branch is Nathan all the way down to Mary. And what that shows is that Jesus has a double right to the Davidic line, the Davidic kingdom. And it solves another problem, which I don't know we'll have time to get into tonight, but we can mention at some point uh, once again. I want you to think too about who I will say I'll call poor Joseph. Poor Joseph is the son of a king. You know, that's like you saying, I'm I'm a, a descendant of, you know, King George. You know, I mean, but who are you? You're just a, don't take offense, but you're just nobody. You're just a person. There's no, you know, royal blood or, why are why are you in the state you're in now? Why aren't you on a throne somewhere? You know, acting like a king, like you're supposed to be. Poor Joseph was actually literally poor, a poor man in Jerusalem, waiting for the promise of the consolation of Israel, knowing that he, I guess he knew, perhaps I hope, that he was a descendant of King David and had actual right to the throne upon which Herod at the moment sat. How would that feel? You know, I'm supposed to be there, not him. And besides that, I don't even have wealth or much property to my name. I'm just a poor person with a young wife and who's pregnant and we don't have much. And uh, they were given you know, those gifts from the, the Magi, the wise men from the East to sustain them in their travel to to Egypt and then back again to save the life of the young child. It's a very strange situation that Joseph Joseph would have found himself in. And really, all of those in his line, all the way back to the last king who who ruled, um, I mean, yes, Zerubbabel, I suppose, but really go back. Not, it's Actually, he's not even on the list. I was thinking of Zedekiah, in fact. I misspoke. It's Zedekiah. But even before that, to Jeconiah, um, and Josiah, and then back all the way back to David. All those guys, after they were carried away to Babylon, are just, they've been turned into nobodies. Sad situation. All right, well, let me go back. I know we're bouncing around here, but that was an important point I think we should make. Back to the beginning of the genealogy. Abraham was the father of Isaac. We see that in Genesis 21. And you know the story of Isaac. We could go there and we could actually just take this and branch off into all those stories coming out, you know, radiating out from the center of our spoked wheel, as it were, and look at each one of them. We won't do that tonight. We'll just mention. And then Isaac was the father of Jacob. 
and Jacob and uh, you remember Jacob's birth? What was that all about? Uh, Jacob and Esau and that situation. Uh, that happened. Uh, those that twin situation happened a couple times actually. Uh, it says Judah. Uh, next one is Judah. Um, Jacob, the father of Judah, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Uh, note too that we have in here the, the line of Judah. And Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember that? Yes. Revelation 5 5 says that. And Judah is a lion's whelp, it says in Genesis 49, verse number 9. And then. Perez is the father of Hezron. Let me go to Genesis now and just pick up a couple of these references because we're going to fly through without even looking at Genesis here unless we do. Um, let me go to, uh, well, let's see, Genesis 38. I think there's an interesting uh, account there. Genesis 38, verse 27. won't go into the whole sordid affair with, uh, with Tamar and, and Judah and all that, but it came to pass at the time for her giving birth that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth, the one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand saying, this one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Boy, that's a name to, to bear your whole life. The breach. Afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread in his hand and his name was called Zerah. So Perez and Zerah were born. And then Perez uh, actually was fully born first and he gets the uh, honor of the placement here in the genealogy. He has Hezron. And if that's over in chapter 46 of Genesis... 46. Now, when I turn back to these pages, you, you realize, don't you, that this is a tremendous thing to be able to do this. You have a book that was written in the mid-50s or 60 A.D. referring back to events that occurred 1,800, 1,900 years before. To be able to have the source book from another language, Hebrew, transmitted to us, preserved to us, and translated into our language and be able to turn to it, you kind of lose track of the fact that that, that that thickness of my Bible there represents like those 1,800 plus years. That's tremendous. You can't just do that. Like, you know, you know what this is? This is like Ancestry.com. I mean, you're going way back in the beginning of, of history to find the, the people there. I mean, this is better than a DNA test uh, to find out your ancestors. How do they know who your ancestors are anyway? Um, but anyways, so Genesis 46 and verse number uh, 12. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. There's Hezron again. Uh, and then Hezron had Ram. Ram had Aminadab. And Aminadab is found in several texts in the Bible. Very interesting. You see him pop up a number of, of places. Uh, and then Nashon as well. Uh, Nashon is a very important leader of the tribe of Judah. And it turns out, very interesting, if you go to Exodus, 
You get these little, these little tidbits that are just very interesting. And I know some of you would be even more interested than others in this because you like tracing family connections and you know cousins and things like that and uh, intermarriages and all that. And, and uh, it says in uh, Exodus 6.23, look at this. It says, Aaron took to himself Elisheba, daughter of Aminadab, sister of Nashon, as wife, and she bore to him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. So Nadab and Abihu, you know who they were from Leviticus that died, right? Their mom was Elisheba, who was the sister of Nashon, the daughter of Aminadab. And so you have, now just think about what that means. That means that you have an intermarriage between the line of Judah and the line of Aaron or Levi. So now you've got a family with Aaron and Levi together. So they did cross over uh, between tribal boundaries in marriage, even uh, as this says uh, in verse number 23, Aaron himself, the high priest. Okay. Now, uh, next let's go to Ruth. Joshua Judges Ruth, chapter 4. The story of Ruth is fascinating. It's really the story of Ruth and Boaz and how they got together and Naomi. And uh, it says in Ruth 4.11, after the whole story comes to a, a climax, a conclusion and Ruth is acquired as wife by Boaz because of this uh, kinsman-redeemer law that is in Israel. And uh, she's a Moabitess nonetheless, but she's acquired as wife uh, from Boaz. And he says, I've acquired her as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. In other words, to raise up seed to Elimelech uh, well, and, and uh, to then her, uh, his son, and then Ruth, his wife, and the son, of course, died, you remember, in the story, that the dead may not be cut off from his brothers and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. So Boaz is doing a magnanimous thing uh, to marry this woman and raise up uh, offspring so that the name and lineage and land and all that won't be uh, confuddled, as it were, in the history of Israel. And verse 11 says, And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah. So the idea of that is a prayer. May God make her like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Out of you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, shall come a ruler who will rule my people Israel. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. So, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and then she bore a son. Okay. Now, go down to verse 18. Well, I just keep reading. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may His name be famous in Israel. I would say... Uh, his name is famous in Israel because it says 
Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, that he is famous in Israel, famous in Christianity as well. And, verse 15, May you be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, is, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Think of Grandma, how pleased she was to have a little one. And, and the neighbor women gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. And Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David, the king of Israel. And so you have here a chunk of the genealogy that just is lifted right from Matthew, by Matthew, right and put into here, into his own genealogy of Christ, and a very important part of text. If nothing else, Ruth has to be in the Bible for that. It has to be there so we know uh, about the correct full lineage of the Lord Jesus. Now, in view of the time, I'm going to have to uh, just quickly go through a couple more things. Uh, very quickly, and then let us uh, finish for this time. The next section of the genealogy is from David all the way to the carrying away to Babylon. So from David about, oh, 900 and some B.C., uh, 1,000 B.C., all the way down to 586, well, 597 technically at the end of this part of the list. But you have Solomon and Rehoboam and then you have uh, Abijah and a few of these other guys. But if you look at verse 8, notice it says, And Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram is also known as Jehoram. J-E-H-O-R-A-M. Okay? And then it says, And Joram the father of Uzziah, like, uh, also known as Azariah, as I mentioned. But the thing is, that skips four generations. We know that from the genealogical material in the Old Testament. Who is skipped? Well, after Joram is Ahaziah, who was an evil king. Then Athaliah, she was a queen, a very evil one, and doesn't really belong in the genealogy whatsoever. Then Joash, who was a good king. And then Amaziah was a good king. So I'm actually going to look and make sure that I should even have Athaliah in here. The whole thing is a bit confusing with that because she wasn't supposed to be there at all. And so then Amaziah was the father, direct father of Joram. So what does that tell you? That tells you that Matthew is fine with saying Joram is the father of Uzziah even though there's four generations or three in the middle there. Okay, So this genealogy is, is clearly not meant to be exhaustive. Any, any, anybody can turn back to the records and look. So Matthew knew that. He wasn't hiding anything. He structured it this way so that there would be 14, 14, and 14 for some reason. Probably so that young people like Daniel could memorize the list easier and say, okay, I got 14, I got to get another 14, I got to get another 14. All right? Can you do that, Sam? No? <laughs> All right. Well, someday perhaps. This, that would be a tough list to memorize, wouldn't it? So you have uh, then Uzziah, who was a king for a very long time. Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the good king. Manasseh, not so good. Uh, Amos or Ammon, Josiah, 
Then there's a skip here, a skip of Jehoiakim, and then Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. And Jeconiah is a troublesome character because he was cursed by God. That curse is the subject of another talk some other time that we've done before. And then you have the deportation of Babylon. And this is interesting now. The deportation of Babylon, you have a couple named Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, and 1 Chronicles 3. And then Abiad, in verse 13, doesn't occur anywhere else in the Bible. And the same with the next ones in the list. Eliakim, Azor, Zadok, Achim, Eliad, Eliezer, Mathan, and Jacob. Why? Well, I think because of the exile, the uh, information recorded in Scripture, the, the information that would have been recorded in Scripture is just not there because they would have, if they had a continuation of the book of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, they would have had more kings. Supposing they hadn't you know, been exiled, they hadn't sinned. Uh, but that information is just not there, so it's kind of lost. So there may have been genealogical records, but incomplete and, and whatever problems they might have had with those. Um, and then finally, notice the name Joseph. I looked for Joseph in the Bible. And do you know how many guys are named Joseph? I mean, there's a lot of guys named um, you know, uh, Ahaz and, and uh, Amos and, or Amon and uh, Zerubbabel and Eliakim and Jehoiakim and all those guys. But Joseph doesn't occur very often. Genesis, there's the Genesis Joseph. There's a couple guys named that in Ezra and Nehemiah. But really, it's Genesis Joseph and it's the Joseph in Matthew's Gospel and Mark and Luke and John. Very interesting. But now, of course, today the name Joseph is quite common, isn't it? Because of the fame of those men of, uh, of the Scriptures. So, uh, the repeated 14, we talked about that already. We talked about the historical nature of the passage. Uh, And this clearly teaches us that Jesus has the right to the throne of David. Uh, Matthew is crystal clear about that. Jesus is a, a, a son of David through Joseph and legally has the right to the throne of his father. And so it's critically important for kings and for priests to have the right genealogy. And Jesus has it. He has it. And we'll see in Luke 3 the same thing when we come to that portion of Scripture. So, very interesting portion, even though you might have read it at first and said, eh, what's all this about? Hopefully it's, hopefully it's a little more clear to you now. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this time we've had tonight to look into the section of Scripture which records for us the genealogy of Jesus Christ, of, of, of Joseph and Jacob and all the way back to Abraham and all the way back to Noah and Adam in Luke's Gospel. Lord, I, I thank You for this record that solidifies our faith. It gives us a historical basis upon which we believe. It says that we're, we're dealing with real things here, real people, and uh, many, many, many generations of them. So, Lord, we are are grateful to You for it. Pray that You help us not to overlook this portion of Scripture, but to pay good and close attention to it. And remember, each one of these people, many of them in the first two-thirds of the list were kings in Israel, significant personages in the history of the nation and of the people of God. And Lord, only because of the sin of the nation did the last third of those people never even receive mention really in Scripture other than in this genealogy.
Lord, thank You that You have made us kings and priests as well. Despite the fact that we have no genealogy of which to speak, we're just regular old people. Thank You for Your love for us. In Jesus' name, Amen.